Welcome to the Infertility Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the raw and unfiltered truths of infertility. I'm your host, Laura Kaufman. Join me as we explore the science, the stories, the people, the emotions, and beyond. Now, as this is an unfiltered podcast, please be mindful of little ones that could be listening in as it definitely won't always be PG. Let's jump in. everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Infertility Podcast. It's episode two, and I'm really excited that you're here. This week is kind of a different approach. I'm going to be interviewing Martha Wright. Martha is a practicing shaman. She is from Richmond, Virginia. And in this episode, we talk about perimenopause, postpartum depression, her path to getting pregnant, and a whole bunch of stuff in between. But before we get to the episode, I wanted to just throw some random recommendations at you because as I say later on in the episode, I think when we're dealing with infertility, we need things that are fun in our lives. So each episode, I'm going to throw a random rec at you and take it or leave it up to you. But this week, my random recommendation is What We Do in the Shadows, which is on Hulu. It's hysterically funny and definitely good for a laugh. But anyways, here we go with the episode. I hope you enjoy, and please leave a review if you do. So today I am talking to Martha, who is one of my favorite people, but could you introduce ourselves to our beautiful listeners, please? Hi, yes. Um, I am Martha Wright. I am former neighbor, good friend, and a practicing shamanic healer. That is something that we're definitely going to dive into more so, because one of the aspects of this episode is looking at alternative healings for people that are going through infertility, struggling to get pregnant, or, you know, secondary infertility. Infertility has a lot of hats. That is kind of unfortunate and a pain in the ass for a lot of us when we're trying to get proper diagnoses. But why don't you tell us your journey to getting pregnant and what that looked like for you? Sure. So I have one child, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about how we came to the choice of just one child. But Um, I have one son, he's currently six, and when we wanted to get pregnant, um, we were, I guess you would say, some of the lucky ones. It took us about a year, but we finally got pregnant. It did, however, take me really learning my body because the whole standard of, oh, if you ovulate, you know, if you have this long of a period, you should be ovulating this time. Well, I had a really short cycle. I had a 21-day cycle. So did you have a hard time figuring out when you were ovulating exactly? Yes, because saying egg whites to the person trying to get pregnant meant literally, I don't know, anything. Any viscosity (laughs) was an egg white? Because I was like, there's honey eggs. When we refer to egg white, that is egg white cervical mucus, just in case you are unfamiliar with this terminology. And the belief is that when you are ovulating, you are discharged. We're getting into like... TMI fun stuff is an egg white consistency and color. So that's basically what you were looking out for was the egg white. Cause that's what I was doing too. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this must mean I'm ovulating, but mine was in fact wrong. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and like, and so I, you know, and I'm an overthinker. So proclaimed Ravenclaw, right? Yes, I was like, well, there are eggs that are runny whites. And then there are those that are very thick and sticky whites. Yeah. So I was like, which one is it? <laughs> um, and so having such a short cycle really turned out to mean that when I was ovulating, it was like two days after my period ended. Wow. That's really fast. Yeah. So how did you end up finding out when you were ovulating? Um, I 
well, one, I was doing um, a calendar, like an app to help okay. me out. Two, I was really overthinking and overanalyzing. Was it like the temperature app that you were doing? I did some temperatures. Okay. And then I also started to seek out when I would have like ovulation pains. Mm-hmm. And my uh, doctor kind of helped me recognize like, okay, that's go time. You want to go five to seven days before. And she's like, and then take a break in between days. So that way um, my partner could kind of keep up his reserves yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and really shoot him straight. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting because when you talk from doctor to doctor, some doctors are like, okay, don't have sex. Every, you have sex every two to three days. And then other doctors are like every day. Some doctors are like twice a day. Yeah. And from the studies that I've been able to find and just the basic info that I've looked at, it's that the more frequently you have sex, the better the sperm reserve is going to be. Because it's fresher sperm, essentially. So this whole notion, it's like, it seems kind of an old school thinking where they're like, okay, you need to take this many days between each time you have sex. It's just, it's very complicated and really it should be a lot simpler than it is, but continue. (laughs) Um, And so as I've shared with Laura before, and I will share with you all, I am pretty positive that when I decided, okay, I'm done, I'm taking a break. I'm emotionally, I can't handle this, I need to take a break. And there was a storm outside and I was feeling quite adventurous. And I told my my husband, I was like, we're going outside. We're going to have sex under the rain. And there was like, you know, we were moving at it and there was some lightning and some thunder and I was screaming at him to go a lot faster. And then finally like, like shoved everyone, everyone, I don't, there's just one person. One person, yeah. I said everyone, (laughs) shoved him off of me and I ran into the house. And and so that whole idea of like, lay down, do this position did not work for me. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I'm just saying it was like me fully releasing control and obsession and it just happened to be perfect timing with the fact that it was like the two ovulation days after day. my period was done. Yeah, that's so wild. I mean, so <laughs> it's so frustrating too, again, because like we're always told it's like, okay, after you have sex, you have to make sure that like the sperm doesn't fall out because that's going to better your chances. Right. And you're like, does that actually really make a difference? Because most of the people I've spoken to, it's made, it's, no, like <laughs> there has been zero advantage just sitting there. And I was that person that was like, okay, I'm going to be here for the next 45 minutes with my legs up against the wall. I'll see you in an hour. And I mean, we did that for three years with yeah. zero luck. So yeah, I mean, that's not to say that it doesn't necessarily work for other people. Sure. It just hasn't been something that I've encountered someone that's like, you know what really helped us get pregnant was keeping my legs in the air for 15 minutes and 30 seconds exactly. It's just, you know, no. And what I find, especially from the shamanic perspective, is that so much of it is really, truly divine timing. And I realized for myself in retrospect that not only is it, it what does divine timing mean? It means where are we emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically in our personal journey? Where is our partner in their journey? And are the stars aligning that we are both truly ready? Because we could say we're ready, but maybe emotionally we're not as ready as we think we are. And I'm not saying that this is the reason infertility exists. Yeah. Of course there's science, of course. But like sometimes it does help to think, okay, you know, where am I? Am I am I here on my path or am I a little bit, do I wish I was a little bit further with my emotional healing before I bring in a child? And I think for me personally, and I'm not speaking for others, but for me personally, I had some serious fears and control issues and I, I wasn't going to be able to bring a child in um, with that at the forefront of 
the intention. Right. I had to let that go. So once you found out you were pregnant, what did your pregnancy look like? What was it like for you going through that? I had a motto. <laughs> I had an intention and motto, which is okay. Spartan baby. <laughs> <laughs> my belief was I will eat what my body lets me eat because anything that I loved it seems that uh, my uh, child did not want oh, me to eat. Been there. All the vegetables, all it's everything green and beautiful and natural oh, was like no. rejected by my body. Yeah. Um. So I had chocolate milk and hamburgers a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was great. Yeah. Um, but my joke was Spartan baby. Like, I'm going to, you know, just go about my life. I'm mm-hmm. not going to over-obsess because I recognized that I couldn't control, right? Yeah. So it was like, all right, I'm not going to go neurotic within myself and control every small detail and every month and week that we're in because the old Martha really would have done that. So I was just like, okay. I'm just going to trust that it's all going to work out, that my body knows what it's doing, and that I will do the absolute best I can do to be healthy, wise, and 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 good to my child that I'm growing. Um, but I'm not going to obsess and, and micromanage <laughs> my body's capabilities. And yeah. so, Spartan baby. Did you have a relatively normal pregnancy in terms of symptoms? Did you have anything come up during your pregnancy? Yeah, I mean, it was all... Pre- you know, it's, it's, it's rare. Rarely is pregnancy convenient. I Never like that I have found. It is no. entirely inconvenient. But once, you know, I, I had a good sense of humor about most things. Like, can, can we get TMI? Oh, like, absolutely. I Please, had no I idea. It. Second to third trimester, you should have an extra pair of underwear in your, in your purse because... <laughs> It gets juicy. <laughs> oh, it definitely can. I actually didn't experience that. Oh, and wow. like I kept waiting because I had that book and the app, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay, like this is supposed to be when things like really amplify. And I was just like, no, we're the desert down there. Cool. Like it was yeah. dry as anything. And yeah, it was very weird. And that's just another point, the fact that everyone is different and every journey is exactly. unique. And, and I think when people... And, and I say this as people because not everyone who's identifying as a woman experiences the pains and the emotional uh, difficulties of infertility. But when other people are listening and thinking, okay, yes, I'm letting this person vent uh, or be emotional about their experience, but I also want to know that I'm helping them. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the help is just listening. Absolutely. But I think a lot of times we want to show that we're helping. And so we give advice and we give feedback. Well, have you thought about this? Have you tried that? Which I'm not speaking for everyone, but a lot of times just ends up with more heartache and right. feeling a blame on the self yeah. for things that truly are just not entirely always our fault. No, I was given the, oh, you need to de-stress line yeah. a lot. And I was like, that's actually not a thing and is more damaging than you could possibly know. And it was yeah. always being said to me by people that had kids And I was like, you can just fuck right off. Like, honestly, (laughs) I was so irritated because I would look at them and be like, you know what? Stress has an effect on the body, sure. But all the science backs up and says stress does not affect your infertility. Like, it's not going to make you infertile. There is a legitimate cause as to, like, what's going on behind that. And, yeah, I I I don't even think I can count the amount of times people said to me, 
you have to let go. You have to de-stress. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about like going for a massage and stuff like that? And I was like, yeah, that all sounds great, but that's not going to get me pregnant. Yeah. So I mean, if Manny Petties were the way that people could get pregnant. Yeah. Everyone would, would be, be pregnant. Like that wanted to have a baby. And I mean, maybe even people that don't want to have a baby, you know, it's just <laughs> there. Yeah. It's absolutely infuriating, but regardless. But so, yeah. And so I think like it just ends up putting more of that, um, I don't want to say it puts more of the blame, but it really does. We, and oftentimes the woman or the, the person trying to get pregnant is it then in, in, inherits that feeling of like, oh, I'm still fucking this up. I need to be different or I yeah. need to do something different when it's really out of our hands. And so that's my point when like every situation and every body chemistry is different. And so the advice is great. The feedback is great. The stories are great. But sometimes we just have to sit back and really let go and just say, let go of the stories and Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to honor the fact that my body is unique and I just need to sit with my story and I need to sit with my body and love my body because what needs to happen will happen. Yeah. So what was your birth experience like? Oh God. Okay. So I had the whole, (laughs) I had like, I had the picture of like, hey, I'm going to be all natural. I'm going to labor at home. Anyone who's been pregnant has like, oh, I'm going to have a home birth. I'm going to be a goddess. Yeah. I'm going to have my tub and my gems. It's going to be beautiful. (laughs) I'm going to have serene sounds only and nature noises. And most people are like, get this fucking baby out of me. And Mm -hmm. all of that plan goes out the window. But you ended up having a natural birth. I did. I did. Um, so I thought I was going to labor mostly at home and then get there and they're going to be like, there's the crown. Like, you know, and, <laughs> but I didn't, I was so hypersensitive to my body and I was a week, a week late quote, quote, you know, cause it's never really yeah. exact date, date, but like I started contractions at midnight on Friday. So I guess early Saturday morning. And then it wasn't until early Monday morning that my son was born. That's a long labor. I was in inactive labor for about 44 hours. And at that point, I had slept six hours and had one meal. Oh, God. Because I, just, I, I was so nervous. Yeah. I was puking everything I tried yeah. to eat. Because one, because my body was like, what are you trying to do, girl? We're trying to push a baby out of you. Yeah. Don't be putting food in me. Yeah. Like, so there was that. But then, <laughs> but then also, like, nerves really freaked out like what the fuck is happening yeah in a good way but then again my body was also like okay we've got this so um the contractions you know came and went and then finally I got just so tired my midwife was like all right come on in so she said we have options we can pop your water and see what happens Mm -hmm. we could put you on Pitocin see what happens yeah or and then last option is c-section right and so I was like you know what just take just roll me in just roll me in that room. I, I love me some medical doctors. Yeah. I love me natural medicine too. I love yeah. it all. I'll take all of it. Yeah, just give it, lay it all on me. All just it. get the baby out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's like, why don't we give you about 30 minutes to try and sleep? Because like my contractions went hard stop when I got in the hospital. Oh uh, yeah, that's pretty common. Yeah. And so I rested for about an hour and then she came in. I was like, all right, let's start with option one. Let's, let's get out the crochet needle and, and, and pop, pop that, that water. water. Yeah. Yep. And... And it, she did, and uh, it was about six hours of active labor from that point onward, and he was out. Um, but, you know, I was just, I was so tired, but it was ended up being kind of like a spiritual awakening moment. Like, I've had a series of them in my young adulthood, and then this moment really solidified it for me in terms of, like, my connection with the spiritual world. So, 
I was in the pushing aspect and I was pushing wrong. So it like, you know, I kept going back and <laughs> forward. And so anyway, it was way longer than it needed to be. But in that process, there was a point where I, yes, it was exhaustion. Sure. You could say I was hallucinating, but I know what I was seeing. And it was gold dust flecks all throughout the room. And now pretty. it was beautiful. <laughs> it was ethereal. It was quiet. Like the time in between pushing, I would sit back and I just saw gold dust in the room and now knowing what I know after my apprenticeships and the work I've done, gold dust is something that comes when there's death and when there's birth. Mm. I've seen it around death and I've seen it around birth and in, in, in my birth as well. So it's truly amazing. But there came this moment where I just lost all faith in my body yeah. and all faith in myself. And it was too late to go get a C-section because he was already in the canal. Like, you know. Yeah. And I so I started to panic a bit and I just... I just said, I can't do this. And I started to cry and panic. And all of a sudden, my mother-in-law, who was on the other side, she had passed years prior. She just, like that, appeared in front of me. And clear as day, yeah. just as clear as everyone else in the room, she grabbed my face and she said, come on, Martha. She has a southern <laughs> accent. Come on, Martha. You can do this. And I was like, Mama, right? I'm scared. And she was like, you've got this. You can do this. And then she took a step back out of my face and she's like, come on, girl. And I was like, ah! And then, you know, I, mean, I didn't scream. I was like, ah! Yeah. You know? There's a lot of cow and farmyard noises that are happening at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and that's, and that was the moment I needed. And, and it just, it blew me away and it was so sacred and so special. And yeah, like leading up to that moment in the pushing, you know, before that I was like, there are no heroes in labor. <laughs> There's no. no wrong choices here. No, like, there really aren't. Get your meds if you want it, girl. I, honestly, I called my friend when I was in the middle of labor after having my epidural. She had also had a natural birth, and she was like, how are you feeling? I was like, big fan of the epidural. Big, big fan. <laughs> yes. Like, honestly, because as, you know, I'll discuss at some other point with my birth story, um, my baby ended up needing an emergency C-section because she was suspended with her cord, but my contractions were happening as if she was going to be born at, like, any given second. I was basically experiencing the pain level of transition and my body was going through transition without my baby being ready to transition. So yeah, yeah. it's a whole other thing, but please continue. So yeah, it it ended up being what was not uh, the most glamorous ended up being a really beautiful experience. And then, um, you know, and I've shared this with you, Laura, but I'll share it here. I didn't, I, I loved my child biologically, but I didn't really understand loving my child yeah I was the first few weeks it it really was about four weeks about five weeks really the first time he smiled at me is when I really was flooded with all those beautiful chemicals and was like oh my god oh my god I really do powerful drug (laughs) yeah I really do love you and like but before leading up to it it yeah there were definitely those moments of struggle and um there were times that my mother-in-law came through for me and that in those times too where I felt alone and lost and I was going through some sort of probably some sort of pp uh, postpartum depression where I didn't want anyone around yeah but I was so so sad and so lonely and I felt like it was always nighttime yeah and I just and he didn't sleep more than 45 minutes yeah and I I struggled so hard and my partner was there but I didn't see him you know right it's got you're kind of in your own yeah 
I want to say plain. And so having her come through to support me a few times in that time was, was really, I mean, of course people did show up and yeah. my mother came at one point as well. <laughs> like I was not totally alone, but in my mind and my heart I was, but yeah, that was it. And I just want to, I share that not to belabor my story, but to normalize that, like even something that we want, even something that we enjoy we can still, our hormones can still kind of trip our brain up. Right. Which is something that I was going to ask you about for women that have gone through and men, anyone that's gone through infertility. I mean, it is this all encompassing thing, body, mind, soul, especially the mental aspect. I feel like that really is the driving force behind so much of it where you look at this and you go, why is this not working? It starts to break you down, break your relationships down. And then for women who eventually do get pregnant and are, you know, gifted with a baby at the end of this whole thing Mm -hmm. for them to then experience postpartum depression, I think is the cruelest thing in the entire universe. It's a gut punch. I mean, anyone to experience postpartum depression is just absolutely abhorrent. So if someone who has gone through infertility and then experienced postpartum depression were to come to you for a session, what might that look like? So I think first listening, right? And, and listening about their story and, and hearing them because I think being heard and being seen is so important to the healing process. But I would also break it down to a few different things. One, what are the dreams that we may have held that were not fulfilled? Because it's so important that we allow the old dream, the visions, the hopes, the dreams that didn't come true to be released and to be let go of and, and as we would say, die, let it die and let it mm-hmm. go. Um, so we can make space for the new dream and the reality that's unfolding for us now and what we want moving forward from this reality. Another part is who we were and who we are on both sides of a emotionally difficult or perhaps traumatic situation. Um, they're different people. And so we have to make peace with that process, whether it is weaving the two back together, the two versions of the person back together in an energetic sense within the body and within the heart, or if it's allowing that that release to happen about identity as well as dreams to say, okay, I'm not the same person. I have new beliefs, new ideas, because when we go through such struggles, and I don't say it's always struggles, right? If we go through IVF, if we go through some sort of infertility process, or we choose to not pursue fertility treatments, No matter what the process is, it is a process. And in doing so, we change, we learn, we grow. And so we have to honor that regardless of what goes down. And so making peace with all of that is really important. And then the third part is, who are we showing up as within our family, our friends? And it's not about who are we being out in public, but are we being honest with ourselves in the life that we're leading after the changes that have happened. Because if we're going into life pretending to be the old version of us and living to expectations that the old version of us used to do, when they don't honor us, when they don't benefit us, and maybe instead even taxes us, should we still be doing that? And so through healing and bringing up to speed and making space for the new version of who we are, um, it allows us to then recognize our new boundaries and our new hopes and expectations for who we are out in the world and the people we love. So would you recommend in a situation like that, 
whomever is dealing with postpartum come to you individually with their partner? Like, how would that look? I think both work. And, And I think especially after such a massive amount of growth, it's so important for, and I think this is important for any couple, any partnership, no matter like if, if it's just something like this or if it's five or seven years or 10 years go by, it's important to do something together to rebond in mm-hmm. the versions of who we've become um, together so we can grow together. Right. That's our path. Um, but um, yeah, an individual could come or, or a couple could come together because you could do things like energy healing. You could do breath work. You can do movement exercise. I mean, there's so many different healing modalities out there that can not only benefit the individuals, but then benefit the couple together. Sure. So while you have one child, that was kind of not the end of your fertility journey. What has that looked like for you? Yeah. So we, so I struggled with sleeplessness. Uh, we didn't get a lot of sleep. I didn't get a lot of sleep mm-hmm. uh, as, as my son grew and, you know, then the questions began, when are you having another? This is a great time. He deserves yeah. a sibling. You're such good parents. You're the kinds of parents who should have kids. Ugh. You know, and it's just, there was a lot of, I think, hope and expectation. And and I had begun doing the deep enough work within me to recognize that these were all compliments. Sure. Yes, they were projected expectations, hopes, yes. or projections of fears and opinions, but in a sense, it's a compliment. So I took it as that. And I just said, you know, thanks. I think my kid's pretty great too. But I used to say, well, not yet, not yet. And then I would start saying when I get sleep or when you start paying for daycare. (laughs) And, and then eventually I changed it to, well, we're kind of going Vegas rules right now. We struck it big and I don't think we're going to keep trying. Yeah. Um, and why that's, oh my gosh. And then I had to explain myself. And then I finally realized I need to stop explaining myself because at the end of the day, every time someone asked me why, it would bring back up inside of me all the joy and the excitement, the fear, the nerves, every spectrum of emotion about having a kid. And it really held, held me in a place of limbo where I did want a second child, but everything in my body was like, this is not a good choice. But my heart was like, let's do it. We'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> and my intuition's like, your bananas. And then I was like, no, your bananas. We're yeah. having more kids. <laughs> and, and it was this constant ebb and flow within my body. And this war was raging inside of me. And I was the only casualty. No one else saw the war outside of me, yeah. except for the very few people that I confided in. And it was hard because my partner was very comfortable. He was very comfortable with one and done. So whenever I went to him saying like, well, let's open this door. I want to open this door. Right. He would just look at me and say, why? I am on very firmly on one side of the fence and you are currently on the fence. Neither of us are on the other side, vehemently protesting pro more kids. Why are you trying to convince me to go to the middle of the fence when you yourself aren't even on the other side? Right. And, and logically, yeah, that makes so much sense. It makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah. But hormonally. No, that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> yeah, like uh, evolutionarily, as, yeah. you know, it just, everything was telling me I was wrong. So it, it was years. I would say it was a good four and a half years of, of internal struggle. Um, but then we finally called it and I had to grieve my dreams. I had to let the dreams go. And I grieved for probably 
four or maybe four to six months, I was in a really, I wouldn't say a dark place, but I was in a low place. I wasn't really available for people because I really had to tend to my heart and myself and my womb. And, um, and then the amazing, <laughs> the amazing thing is that, you know, after that six months of grief, uh, I felt changes in my body and I thought nothing of it. And a year later I go to my OB saying, why is my period like three weeks late all the time? Like, what the fuck? Like I yeah. thought we moved on from this. I decided no more kids. Like yeah. what's happening? What Cause I was asking on? my spirit guides, like what's going on here? <laughs> and it was like, congrats, you're perimenopausal, except that I'm younger than 40. So it's called, I believe, um, probably gonna get this wrong cause I'd forgotten what it's called. Like premature premature ovarian failure is I believe what's oh, called. Oh, another beautiful term. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're over thirty five and you're pregnant, and they're like, "Oh, it's a geriatric yeah. pregnancy," and you're like, "Oh, great, I'm Methuselah now. Thank you. <laughs> this is just absolutely beautiful phrasing. I mean, really, the phrasing that they give to women in the medical yeah. community is absolutely ridiculous. But that's just one of the many ways to keep us beating ourselves up. So, what does that look like for you in term and like women in general? What is that? So perimenopause and, and of course not being a doctor, right? So I can only speak from my, from my physical body, but it's, it is the beginning of the process of our body shifting from being fertile into what they call the grandmother effect, or the, at least that's what I remember from like anthropology 101 <laughs> in college, but this idea of like, we're shifting into this crone status in our body so we can help take care of the young and the fertile can keep having kids sure that's evolution speak it's kind of like becoming yeah the grandmother where you can step in to help out but you're not the one birthing the baby and but what's and what's so funny is that whenever i would share with the the handful of friends to be like wow this is why i'm having a fuck ton of hot flashes right in the middle of winter like and it's not anxiety and (laughs) it's whatever and and then also having crazy different periods and my cycle is off and everything but and I would share with people and and they'd say oh my god are you okay and I said yes my head's still attached I think I'm all right yeah my I'm still pooping and sleeping like things are going all right sure and, but, and I understood their question, which is like, emotionally, am I okay with Yeah, this? how are you handling this? And I said, you know, and, and I would say to people, and quite honestly, like, yeah, it's it's okay. Like, this is natural. It's a part of it. But I'm very fortunate in that I got to choose before this choice was made for me that I was done having children. But I can't get over the amazing synchronicity of timing of it. Yeah, it happened very, very quickly between very each other. quickly. As soon as we, as soon as that grief was done, like it was, I was started having messed up cycles, and it wasn't for another year that I, that I, you know, didn't think about it. But so with that, I've been able to reframe it instead of it being like my body's going from fertile to infertile. I'm seeing it as my body is done creating life for the world for other people. And now my body is turning inward and creating life for myself. Yeah. How are you processing it though? Like, what is it like to sit there in that office? Did you, even though you say you went through the process of mourning and grieving the idea Mm -hmm. of a second child, was it kind of reliving that experience again when you were given a diagnosis? Is it sitting there going like, fuck, even if I were to somehow change my mind, this is no longer an option for me. Was there another grieving period that took place? It was, you know, it's, I could see how for many people that would definitely, 
that could definitely be a case. I think for me, what it ended up being was the fear. Sure. Um, I actually started feeling far more nervous about the finality of life. I started realizing, oh my God, I'm on the back nine, which is a golf <laughs> reference. But it means like I'm not 20, I'm closer to 40. And, you know, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for me physically? So I, I really recognize that like with having less periods with having this change because it could be a decade. It could be two years of this, but I have to make some changes to my diet to get more calcium, you know, and and I understand that there are other people that have to maybe do hormone replacement therapy. There's that as well. But for me, I've chosen to, through diet, really up my calcium and up in my vitamin D. And it means being really careful with my joints. And now I'm taking glucosamine and trying to do more bone density strengthening exercises so a lot more walking sure yeah so it was it the fear for me was more physical and about life for my life and then what does that mean for the life of those around me that was what I was really processing to be honest so we briefly touched on the fact that you are a shaman mm-hmm. a shamanic healer explain to people what that is because I think a lot of people don't necessarily have a clear picture of what a modern day shaman looks like. Well, thank you. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. So historically speaking, and even still with living traditions today, such as indigenous tribes uh, and indigenous Americans, et cetera, and parts of Central South America, Asia, it's all, there's living traditions everywhere in the world. In these living traditions, the shaman is held as the cultural holder of history, of collective history, they are also the medicine person. They know plant medicine and herbs, and they work with the spirit guides and the um, ancestors and the nature and the elements to help support the wellness of the tribe or the collective. And, and they also are the ones who are helping with birth and death, marriage, war, or you know, peace, crops. You know, they're, they're helping... On a spiritual level, all that stuff. That is what our traditional understanding of shaman, and it still is, is, exists today. For a modern shaman, or at least speaking for myself, I practice it more from a pantheistic space. So I have Celtic apprenticeships. I've worked with Egyptian mystery school apprenticeships. I am also have done self-study with some of the Hindu and Buddhist pantheon, or I guess Buddhism is technically teachers, not so much gods. But nonetheless, I work with a bevy of different spiritual teachers is the way I see them, as well as animals and crystals. I definitely work a lot with elements. So the idea with modern shamanism is that I am not honoring a specific lineage living tradition today. So I'm not claiming a connection to Cherokee Nation or anything like that. But instead, I'm very vocal that I am working with spiritual guides from the Celtic, from the Egyptian, and the Hindu lineages who have then presented to work with me. And so what does that mean? Well, as shaman, it means I am kind of a bridge between the human world and the spiritual world. I go into the spirit realm to help provide space of wisdom, perspective shifts, and help people with healing themselves. And the healing could be emotional. It could be, in some cases, physical. In some cases, it's both. And it can be a, a big deal and very life-changing. And it can also be very subtle and just about balancing and grounding the body so that they feel more present in the moment. So healing can have a very wide spectrum of, of definition. 
but in terms of, of modern shamanism, it's it's really taking, not taking, but it's practicing rites and rituals and being that bridge between the non-ordinary reality and ordinary reality and uh, for the greater good for whoever it is that we're, we're working for. So what kinds of healings do you think would be beneficial for people that are going through infertility? So I think so much of it is specific about the person, about their background, their past lives sometimes, uh, and, and really about what it is that was kind of preordained coming into this life for them to learn as, quote, lessons or teaching. I don't think it ever hurts to go in for an energy healing session to just, if anything, provide clarity and and peace of heart. What is an energy healing session? That's a That's a good question. So... An energy healing session is where a person, uh, a practitioner, a healer, works with the energy field of the physical body to move blocks, stagnations, or misdirected flow. So the idea is that as with anything, there's flow in and flow out. You could see it like a circle or an ellipse in some cases. This idea of the yin-yang is that you know there's this balance of day and night north and south, right? If you consider your hand as a great way of understanding it, you have the back of the hand and the front of the hand. They look very different and they have super different purposes, but they are both your hand. Our body is very much that same way. We are the balance of polarities within one body and one form. And inside of our physical body, yes, we have our muscles, our tissues, our bones, but on our energetic side, the side that kind of holds the emotion and holds the memories. This, yes, can be found sometimes in the physical form, and you can see that kind of release through things like breath work or myofascial release, massage therapy, having an emotional release with the muscle tissue being being worked in that way. But energetically, it's about tapping into your soul essence and saying, okay, on a soulful, deep level, how are your emotions doing? Are you feeling balanced? Are you do you need, a, and chakras are a really great example of energy body. Um, a lot of people know them because of, of um, the popularization of, of chakra work with the wellness community, but also they are energy centers within the body that when spinning correctly and in unison kind of help our physical body and our mental self make sense of what is happening out in the world. So if you think of it kind of like a sandwich, you have your meat suit, your physical body, on the inside, you have your emotional body or your energy. And on the inside, you have your soul, your spirit body. And so your chakras and your energy field is this kind of highway between what happens in the physical realm and what is intuitively wise within you, that inner knowing, that gut feeling, that just that feeling of connection to God, to angels, to the universe, to nature, to whatever your faith is. The energy field is that balance in between those two places that makes sense of the intuition and makes sense of the physical actions that are happening in the world. So energy healing is basically coming in, going in between those spaces, going into the energy body, finding the place of, of pain, of blocks. Blocks could be things like fear, doubt, guilt. Um, pain could be holding on to loss, trauma, uh, shame, things like that as well. And in helping, the energy healing is helping release them to maybe make sense of them, 
to maybe bring in aspects of our soul self that need to come home to the body so that way we can feel complete and be ready and willing to let go of the old pains. But it could also look like, you know, just making sure the chakras are in balance as well. So it could really, it's very different depending on the person and what's needed, but that's the concept. Does that help? Yeah, it's good. So I like to kind of ask people when, whenever you're going through infertility, it kind of is all mind consuming, right? That's what I've been intimating and everyone who has gone through it has kind of indicated back to me. I like to throw out something fun and unrelated and go, okay, have you watched this or read this? That's like Mm -hmm. a random recommendation. What is something you're really liking right now that you would suggest and be like, you know what, if you want to decompress or do something fun, this is something I would recommend. It's not so much about like necessarily fun, but it's been, I mean, it is fun, I guess, depending on who you're working with. That's very endearing. Um, Good way to start. It's not necessarily fun, but please try it. Um, Breath work. I find breath work has been something that I've really been into recently. And there's different forms of breath work. There are different teachers of breath work um, in different styles for sure. But the idea of returning to the breath um, to not only bring us to like present awareness, but sometimes to just have a really big emotional release and just schlep off the stress. Because when it is all mind consuming and all life consuming, sometimes we forget to just be and we just forget to live. And so I'm a big fan of a good 30 minute breathwork session and there are free breathwork sessions online. And I'm happy to share that info for anyone who's interested. And I like to do a good session get either a good cry or I start to giggle or nothing of the above happens. And I just leave feeling like I had a good workout and <laughs> it's I nice go, to feel that way without actually having done a workout. Right. right? And yeah. then I go have a bottle of beer or a glass of wine with my partner and just try to talk about something else than family planning or otherwise. Yeah. So something that I like to be, I always like to go back to for friends of mine or, or, or clients when we forget how to be human, when we forget how to be in a relationship, I always say, remember what you guys talked about when you were dating? Or do you remember what we talked about with your friends when you were, you know, in your teens and 20s? What did we talk about? It was very, it, you know, it was nothing related to bills and mortgages. It wasn't like, <laughs> what, what school district do you want to live in? You know, it was like, what trip do you want to take? Yeah. What wine do you want to try? What activity do you, do you want to go rock climbing or parachute out of a plane? Like, what ocean have you not swam in? Like things <laughs> like that. Like we need to talk about those things that are quote silly or dreams or unrealistic or too expensive. Who gives a shit? Right. Get lost in the fantasy because that's what makes being young so fun. We have zero clue about what life is bringing. We have zero responsibilities and we get lost in the fantasy. Maybe we never do any of the things we talked about but it was fun talking about them and it gives us a really lovely reprieve. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you if they're interested? Yes. Um, so, uh, my website is Martha, right. Shaman.com. So M A R T H A W R I G H T. And shaman is S as in Sam H A M A N. 
And do you have an Instagram handle that they can follow you at? Currently, it's Soccer Mom Shaman, but I'm thinking if I know how to do it, I might need help from someone cooler <laughs> and hipper than me. Um, I'm going to try to change that to Martha Wright Shaman as well. I'll link it all in the show notes, but if you want to find Martha, it'll be easy enough to find. But thank you again, and this was great. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Infertility Podcast. If you liked it, please leave a review and subscribe. If you'd like to keep up to date with future podcast episodes, you can follow me on Instagram at infertilamine.pod. See you next time.